Chapter Four, Part Nine of *The Legends of the Jews*, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. *The Legends of the Jews*, Volume Two, by Rabbi Louis Ginsburg. Moses punished for his stubbornness. In spite of all these safeguards, Moses was not yet ready to accept the mission God wished to impose upon him. He persisted in urging his fears, saying, But, behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And the Lord said, Thou deservest to be castigated with it. If thou didst not intend to take my mission upon thyself, thou shouldst have said so in the beginning. Instead, thou didst hold back with thy refusal until I revealed to thee the great secret of the ineffable name, that thou mightest know it if the children of Israel should ask thee concerning it. And now thou sayest, I will not go. Now therefore, if thou wilt not execute my charge to thee, it will be executed by this rod. It was my wish to distinguish thee and make thee my instrument for doing many miracles. But thou deservest a punishment for having suspected my children of lack of faith." The children of Israel are believers, and sons of believers, but thou wilt show thyself of little faith in thy career, and as thou followest the example of the slanderous serpent, so shalt thou be punished with leprosy, wherewith the serpent was punished. The Lord now bade Moses put his hand into his bosom, and take it out again. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, as white as snow. And God bade him put his hand into his bosom again and it turned again as his other flesh. Beside being a chastisement for his hasty words, the plague on his hand was to teach him that as the leper defiles, so the Egyptians defiled Israel, and as Moses was healed of his uncleanness, so God would cleanse the children of Israel of the pollution the Egyptians had brought upon them. The second wonder connected with the rod of Moses likewise conveyed a double meaning, in that it pointed to the coming redemption of Israel, and taught Moses a specific lesson. At the bidding of God, Moses cast his rod on the ground, and it became a serpent to show him that when he traduced Israel, he was following the example of the abusive serpent, and also to show him that the great dragon that lieth in the midst of the rivers of Egypt, though he was now hacking into Israel with his teeth, would be rendered harmless like the rod of wood, which has no power to bite. And again, through the third miracle he was bidden to perform, God conveyed to Moses what would happen in the latter years of his own life. The sign he gave him was to make known to him that, before the water came, blood would flow from the rock at Meribah, when Moses should strike it after uttering the hasty, impatient words that were destined to bring death down upon him. For seven days God urged Moses to undertake the mission he desired him to execute. He resorted to persuasion that the heathen might not say that he abused his power as the ruler of the world, forcing men to do his service against their will. But Moses remained obdurate. He could not be won over. He said, Thou doest a wrong unto me in sending me to Pharaoh. In the palace of the Egyptian king there are persons that know how to speak the seventy languages of the world. No matter what language a man may use, there is someone that understands him. If I should come as thy representative, and they should discover that I am not able to converse in the seventy languages, they will mock at me and say, Behold this man, he pretends to be the ambassador of the creator of the world, and he cannot speak the seventy languages. To this God made reply as follows, 
Adam, who was taught by none, could give names to the beasts in the seventy languages. Was it not I that made him to speak? Moses was not yet satisfied. He continued to urge objections, and he said, O Lord of the world, thou wouldst charge me with the task of chastising Egypt and redeeming Israel, and I am ready to be thy messenger. But is it seemly that a man should execute two errands at once? Nay, my lord, for this two men are needed. God made answer and said, Moses, I know well whom thou hast in mind with thy request, to be thy companion in the mission I assign to thee. Know, therefore, that the Holy Spirit hath already come upon thy brother Aaron, and even now he is awaiting thee on the way of Egypt, and when his eyes rest upon thee he will rejoice. Furthermore God spake to Moses, saying, When I appeared unto thee the first time, thou wast meek, and didst hide thy face not to see the vision. Whence cometh now this effrontery of thine, that thou addressest me as a servant to his master? Thou speakest too many words by far. Perchance thou thinkest I have no messengers, hosts, seraphim, ophanim, ministering angels, and merkabah wheels, to send to Egypt to bring my children thence, that thou sayest, Send by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. In sooth thou deservest severe chastisement. But what can I do, seeing that I am the master of mercy? If thou escapest unpunished, thou owest it to thy father Amram, who rendered great services in behalf of the preservation of the Israelitish people in Egypt. But Moses replied, O Lord of the world, I, a prophet, and the son of a prophet, obeyed thy words only after much hesitation, and I cannot expect Pharaoh, a wicked man, and the son of a wicked man, and the Egyptians, a disobedient people, and the sons of a disobedient people, to give ear to my words. O Lord of the world, thou dost send me to Egypt to redeem sixty myriads of thy people from the oppression of the Egyptians. If it were a question of delivering a couple of hundred men, it were a sufficiently difficult enterprise. How much severer is the task of freeing sixty myriads from the dominion of Pharaoh? If thou hadst called upon the Egyptians to give up their evil ways soon after they began to enslave Israel, they might have heeded thy admonitions. But if I should go and speak to them now, after they have been ruling over Israel these two hundred and ten years, Pharaoh would say, if a slave has served his master for ten years, and no protest has made itself heard from any quarter, how can a man conceive the idea suddenly of having him set at liberty? Verily, O Lord of the world, the task thou puttest upon me is too heavy for my strength. Moses said, furthermore, I am not an eloquent man, nor can I see of what avail words can be in this matter. Thou art sending me to one that is himself a slave, to Pharaoh of the tribe of Ham, and a slave will not be corrected by words. I consent to go on thy errand only if thou wilt invest me with the power of chastising Pharaoh with brute force. To these words spoken by Moses, God made reply, Let it not fret thee that thou art not an eloquent speaker. It is I that made the mouth of all that speak, and I that made men dumb. One I make to see, another I make blind. One I make to hear, another I make deaf. Had I willed it so, thou hadst been a man of ready speech. But I desired to show a wonder through thee. Whenever I will it, the words I cast into thy mouth shall come forth without hesitation. But what thou sayest about a slave, that he cannot be corrected by words, is true, and therefore I give thee my rod for Pharaoh's castigation. But Moses still stood his ground. He raised other objections. His grandchild, he said, is closer to a man than his nephew. Nevertheless, when Lot was taken captive, 
thou didst send angels to the aid of Abraham's nephew. But now, when the life of sixty myriads of Abraham's lineal descendants is at stake, thou sendest me, and not the angels. When the Egyptian bondswoman Hagar was in distress, thou didst dispatch five angels to stand by her. And to redeem sixty myriads of the children of Sarah, thou dost dispatch me. O Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send in days to come. To this God answered, saying, I said not that I would send thee to Israel, but to Pharaoh, and that one whom thou madest mention of, I will send to Israel at the end of days. Elijah will appear to them before the great and terrible day. If Moses refused to do the errand of the Lord, there was a reason. God had revealed to him the treasures of the Torah, of wisdom and of knowledge, and the whole world's future. Now he beheld in the inner chamber of God rows of scholars and judges interpreting the Torah in forty-nine different ways as they sat in the court of hewn stones, and he saw, besides, Rabbi Akiba explaining the meaning of the crowns upon the letters. Then said Moses, I do not care to be God's messenger. Let him rather send one of these great scholars. Then God ordered the angel of wisdom to carry Moses to a place of myriads of scholars, all interpreting the Torah, and all making use of the formula, This is a halakha revealed to Moses on Mount Sinai. Now Moses recognized that even the greatest scholars of future generations would be dependent upon him, and then, at last, he was ready to execute the mission God desired to lay upon him. But Moses had to pay dear for having hesitated in the execution of the divine bidding. God said to him, It was appointed that thou shouldst be priest, and Aaron should be the Levite. Because thou hast refused to execute my will, thou shalt be the Levite, and Aaron shall be priest. A punishment that did not fall upon Moses personally, but only upon his descendants, all of whom are Levites. As for himself, he performed a priest's service in the tabernacle. Moses had said to God, Thou hast been speaking to me now these many days, Nevertheless, I am still slow of speech, and of a slow tongue. For this he received another punishment. God said to him, I might change thee into a new man, and heal thee of thy imperfect speech, but because thou hast uttered such words, I refrain from curing thee. The Legends of the Jews, Volume 2, by Rabbi Lewis Ginsburg The Return to Egypt when Moses finally gave in and declared himself ready to go to Egypt as God's messenger, his acceptance was still conditional upon the promise of God to fulfill all his wishes. And God granted whatsoever he desired, except immortality and entering the Holy Land. God also allayed his fears regarding the danger that threatened him from his whilom enemies Dathan and Abiram, on account of whom he had had to flee from Egypt. He told him that they had sunk to the estate of poor and insignificant men, bereft of the power of doing him harm. Moses was loyal to the oath he had given his father-in-law Jethro, never to return to Egypt without securing his consent. His first concern, therefore, was to go back to Midian and obtain his permission, which Jethro gave freely. Then Moses could set out on his journey. He tarried only to take his wife and his children with him, which made his father-in-law say, those who are in Egypt are to leave it, and thou desirest to take more thither? Moses replied, Very soon the slaves held in bondage in Egypt will be redeemed, and they will go forth from the land, and gather at Mount Sinai, and hear the words, I am the Lord thy God. And should my sons not be present there? Jethro acknowledged the justice of Moses' words, and he said to him, Go in peace, enter Egypt in peace, and leave the land in peace. 
At last Moses sallied forth upon his journey to Egypt, accompanied by his wife and his children. He was mounted upon the very ass that had borne Abraham to the Akita on Mount Moriah, the ass upon which the Messiah will appear riding at the end of days. Even now, his journey begun, Moses was but half-hearted about his mission. He traveled leisurely, thinking, When I arrive in Egypt, and announce to the children of Israel that the end of the term of Egyptian slavery has come, they will say, We know very well that our bondage must last four hundred years, and the end is not yet. But if I were to put this objection before God, he would break out in wrath against me. It is best for me to consume as much time as possible on the way thither. God was ill-pleased with Moses for this artifice, and he spake to him, saying, Joseph prophesied long ago that the oppression of Egypt would endure only two hundred and ten years. For his lack of faith, Moses was punished while he was on the road to Egypt. The angels Ath and Hema appeared and swallowed his whole body down to his feet, and they gave him up only after Zipporah, nimble as a bird, circumcised her son Gershom, and touched the feet of her husband with the blood of the circumcision. The reason why their son had remained uncircumcised until then was that Jethro had made the condition, when he consented to the marriage of his daughter with Moses, that the first son of their union should be brought up as a Gentile. When Moses was released by the angels, he attacked them, and he slew Hema, whose host of angels, however, held their own before the assailant. The divine voice heard by Moses in Midian, telling him to return to his brethren in Egypt, fell at the same time upon the ear of Aaron, dwelling in Egypt, and it bade him go into the wilderness to meet Moses. God speaketh marvelously with his voice, and therefore the same revelation could be understood one way in Midian, and another way in Egypt. The greeting of the two brothers was very cordial. Envy and jealousy had no place between them. Aaron was rejoiced that God had chosen his younger brother to be the Redeemer of Israel and Moses was rejoiced that his older brother had been divinely appointed the high priest in Israel. God knew their hearts, for at the time when he charged him with the Egyptian mission, Moses had said, All these years Aaron has been active as a prophet in Israel, and should I now encroach upon his province and cause him vexation? But God reassured him, saying, Moses, thy brother Aaron will surely not be vexed. He will rather rejoice at thy mission. Yea, he will come forth and meet thee. Aaron showed his joy freely at seeing his brother once more, after their separation of many years. As for his joy in the distinction accorded to Moses, it was too great to be expressed in all its depth and extent. For his kind, generous spirit, he received a reward from God, in that he was permitted to bear the Urim and Thummim upon his heart. For, God said, the heart that rejoiced at the exalting of a brother shall wear the Urim and Thummim. Aaron ran to meet his brother, and embraced him, and asked where he had spent all the years of their separation. When he was told, in Midian, he continued to question him, saying, Who are these that are traveling with thee? Moses. My wife and my sons. Aaron. Whither goest thou with them? Moses. To Egypt. Aaron. What? Great enough is our sorrow through those who have been in Egypt from the beginning, and thou takest more to the land? Moses recognized that Aaron was right, and he sent his wife and his sons back to his father-in-law Jethro. He was no less magnanimous than Aaron. If the elder brother felt no envy on account of the younger brother's dignity, the younger brother did not withhold from the other the teachings and revelations he had received. Immediately after meeting with Aaron, Moses told him all that God had taught him, even the awful secret of the ineffable name communicated to him on Mount Horeb. 
In obedience to the command of God, the elders of the people were assembled, and before them Moses performed the wonders that were to be his credentials as the Redeemer sent to deliver the people. Nevertheless, the deeds he did were not so potent in convincing them of the reality of the mission as the words wherein God had announced the approaching redemption to him, which he repeated in their ears. The elders knew that Jacob had imparted to Joseph the secret mark designating the Redeemer, and Joseph had in turn confided it to his brethren before his death. The last surviving one of the brethren, Asher, had revealed it to his daughter Sirah in the following words, He that will come and proclaim the redemption with the words of God, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. He is the true Redeemer. Sirah was still alive at Moses' return, and the elders betook themselves to her, and told her the words of Moses, announcing the redemption. When she heard that his words had been the same as those Asher had quoted, she knew that he was the promised Redeemer, and all the people believed in him. Thereupon Moses invited the elders to go to Pharaoh with him, but they lacked the courage to appear before the king. Though they started out with Moses, they dropped off stealthily on the way, one by one, and when Moses and Aaron stood in the presence of the king, they found themselves alone, deserted by all the others. The elders did not go out free. Their punishment was that God did not permit them to ascend the holy mountain with Moses. They durst accompany him on the way to God only as far as they had accompanied him on the way to Pharaoh, and then they had to tarry until he came again. End of chapter 4, part 9